gentlemen, our bye week has come and gone. Episode 25 is here, and we're freaking fired up, baby. The first solid beer crack in two weeks, and damn it if it doesn't feel right. We are so freaking fired up to be back in the studio again this week. We apologize. We had to take a little bit of a unexpected bye week last week. Um, you know, we got a little busy, got a little tied up in, you know, some adult things, as we like to call them, you know, since we're all here, adults, hardworking men here on the Triple F podcast. But it's good to crack beers and be back with the boys. Farming boys are all that we have here on the podcast today. Uh, unfortunately, Chad Fangman and Britt Rohrbach not able to make it here tonight, but we do have our one of our favorite farming duos missing the piece to our farming trio. But Eric, Dane, talk to us about how your hectic week was and how does it feel to be back on the Triple F? All right. Thank you, Slade. It feels good to be back. The last two weeks, we've been extremely busy, and I feel like I have so much Farming and football talk just bottled up, just ready, ready to go. I've been looking forward to this. Um, hated to miss it last week, but like you said, this is a busy time. You know, we kind of talked about it this time last year, but really, if you look at it as a farmer, it, it, it you kind of, in a way, you get paid like twice a, twice a year. You work all year for basically two paydays. And it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around that when you're somebody that gets paid, you know, every other week or, or every month or whatever, you're on a regular salary. And that's just not how it works in our line of work. And there's other ways that you can do it to kind of add extra streams of income and, and kind of ways to help your cash flow. But when you really think about the farming structure, you basically get paid for your winter crop, which is, you know, wheat or, or grazing cattle, or and then you basically get paid for your summer crop, which is, you know, your cotton, your corn, your milo, your hay. Um, so this is really go time for us. We are extremely busy right now. It all kind of comes together this time of year. Um, we talked in, the, in some previous podcasts about planting wheat. We're, we're kind of still doing that. Uh, we're really starting to dive into harvest as some of the silage, the corn silage and milo silage are starting to ramp up harvest, but we're really starting to ramp up the grain harvest. Milo is starting to get taken out of the field. Corn starting to get taken out of the field. Um, and that's what we've been doing. I, I know the Brahmins have started harvesting grain. We've started harvesting some grain, um, planting wheat, buying cattle. Just a lot going on. It, it, it's the most fun time of year, and it's the most rewarding time of year. Um, it, you know, football and the fall and the farming. I mean, you, the triple F, you know, you can't beat it. So it is a really, really great, my favorite time of the year, but we are extremely busy. Farmers fight. Yeah, it is just a weird time of year, and everybody's operation is different farming-wise. Like, some people are just absolutely balls to the wall. Everything's ready at the same time, and then they, there's a lot of people that like to plant wheat late, and then there's a lot of people that like to plant wheat early, and everybody's just different, and everybody's got their own their own strategy. Whatever they do that works for them, that's great. Um, but one thing that is nice and bad for our operation at this time is you know we're kind of in the spot where we're not completely balls to the wall right now because we've got to kind of piece around we've cut some corn we've cut some 
dryland milo. We've cut some irrigated milo. We've got some that's about to be ready, and then we'll have, you know, a 10-day break where we're waiting on seed milo that just got sprayed to be ready. And all while this is happening, like, that harvest is not balls to the wall. The wheat sowing is really not either because there's no moisture out there. Some people have moisture. Some people don't. And we were unfortunate enough to not have much moisture anywhere. And so our our whole dynamic is like like this year, we are not super busy as of right now. And it's really nice to be busy right now because that that's usually a good thing. And so that part kind of stinks. And there's a lot of people out there that have later Milo and they're waiting on that freeze and looking at the forecast that ain't that ain't coming anytime close. And so that really stinks if you're on that side of it. Um, but also if your Milo is ready right now, that means you're just super fucking dry, which also sucks. <laughs> so that's not much fun. It's not fun waiting on a freeze, and this weather is just so damn goofy. I don't know what's going to happen. It, it is tough, and we had, you know, they put rain chances out 10 days out in advance, and, and you're like, okay, rain chances in the forecast. Let's see what happens. And you wait those 10 days, and you get all excited, and then we have an event, you know, like today's Wednesday, so Monday night. You know, we, we we're looking at Monday of like, that's the day we're going to get some rain. That's the day we're going to get some rain. And then it shows up, and we've, it was the same old song and dance. We watched the whole, you know, it just it's just like the tide, the ocean splits, you know. And there was tons of rain south around Lubbock, tons of rain north around Dalhart up to the state line to Oklahoma. Uh, big, big rains, and we're just sitting here in the middle of it. And it was a really frustrating deal. But but one thing, like Dane said, is I think one deal that's hard for people to understand that don't farm is the sense of urgency this time of year. And and what I mean by that is when those crops are ready, it's not like, well, I think that's I think that stuff's ready to harvest. Let's go have a fun weekend, we'll get it on Monday. It's kind of the biggest deal right now is the, the having a sense of urgency. And that's why Dan and them aren't as busy is because the second they have something that's ready, they've been in the field and getting it out as fast as possible. And that's critical this time of year because I mean, like we said, that's how you get paid is that crop you've spent an entire year growing is getting that to the elevator or getting that to a pit when if you're cutting it for silage or if it's, hey, getting it bailed up and in a pile. I mean, that's how we get paid. And so when it's ready, it's it's time to go. And and unfortunately, it's drop everything and, and handle it. And so that's one thing that's hard for some people to understand. And that's why sometimes we don't get to do a podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And, and just kind of like what you were saying about whenever things are ready, you got to get in the field. Like, and what, what's crazy about to all the people out there that don't uh, have any idea what Milo harvest is like, you could be cutting all day on one field that is super dry. It is by far ready to go. Well, that next morning, if you have a little bit of dew and then overcast until three o'clock in the afternoon, you're not going to cut that day. And that's just how it is. And it's it's really frustrating, especially if you need to be getting it done right then and there and there's weather coming or, you know, it has a chance of falling down or there, there's so many different things out there that could uh, hurt you negatively weather wise. But I mean, if you've got a wet, humid morning and the clouds don't disappear by about one or two, there's a good chance you're not going to cut out there. And if you do, you're really only going to get about two hours worth of, of good harvest because really once that sun goes down, unless you're super dry outside and your grain is super dry, you're just not going to be able to get it under under that 
that 14% moisture that you really have to for the grain elevator to take it. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's, it's fun times, Slade. It's busy times. Uh, anybody out there, if you see a farmer, thank them. Uh, say a little prayer for all the farmers and producers out there. Uh, farmers fight, and let's go get them. Most importantly, if you see a farmer out there, give them a damn beer. <laughs> Crack a beer and call them electric, by all means, um, because it it really is. And growing up, you can think that, you know, farmers are the most hypocritical people whenever it comes to, you know, the weather and stuff like that, because every day is just a nonstop, you know, it's too dry out here. We're not getting enough rain. And then all of a sudden the rain comes and all your you see them going, no, we just really need to dry out. We don't want this to happen because a lot of people don't realize how impactful those violent rains and especially hail can be. You know, that is by far a farmer's worst nightmare. So that is why you want to give these guys a beer whenever it comes to crunch time. Uh, speaking of crunch time, uh, I got to have a lot of fun on crunch time on the opposite side of a mic, not a podcasting mic, but a Vega Longhorn broadcast mic this last Friday. I got to join Robbie Kirkland, and it was pretty great. We went into Olton, Texas, and watched the Vega Longhorns take on Olton in their final non-district game, and it was one heck of a time uh, just getting to broadcast with Robbie, and we got out to a great start in that game. Um, You know, Vega hasn't been, you know, immune to this, getting out to great starts, and then a few bad plays didn't bounce our way, and then we kind of fell apart at the seams there in the second half. But a really great start, and it was all the flashes that you needed to see to know that you should have some confidence going into this district schedule. For those of you who don't remember, we talked a little bit about it in the first part of Season 2 in the Triple F. There is only four teams in this district because the Booker Kyle was dropped down to six-man football. So it's an automatic bid. That being said, you want to be one and two because typically the three and four teams are much, much easier than those one and two teams you're having to play in the opposite district. So still plenty to fight for in the district schedule, but I think we're going to be kind of glad to get back to some opponents more our pace, more our speed, more our size. Um, and also you still have that double bye week, Eric, thinking about this double bye week, if you could rewind and go back in time, how would you approach this whole double bye week situation? You know that you're going into hopefully a district championship matchup against Sunray after the double bye week. Would that make you nervous as a player going into those uncharted waters of that double bye week? Or are you just thinking, wow, we have two whole weeks to prepare for one team and to get healthy. I think it can go either way, Slade. I've actually, I can relate to this Vega football team because we, this is kind of what we went through when I was in school. We, you know, we had some good athletes and we were a a solid team, but the schedule we played was, was just brutal. We were, we were not very competitive in most of our non-district games and, and really, it's kind of like this team. By the time we got to district, we were kind of a little bit beat up. We were a little discouraged. We were a little upset. Um, you know, you kind of feel and relate to the guys. I mean, I just really, you know, can sympathize for that football team right now because I've been in their shoes. I know what they're they're thinking. And so if it's anything like the teams I was on, I think it can be a good thing because I think it gives you a chance to step back. I think it gives you a second to 
get your guys healthy that have been beat up, that have been, you know, in the trenches for the last, you know, the entire season. And then you just get to focus on clearly the probably the best team in your district, Sunray. I mean, they're really lighting it up and they've got a lot of good players. It gives you two weeks. I mean, I don't know if Sunray has a buy in those two weeks or not, but you could go watch them play back-to-back weekends, you know, in preparation for your game with them. So I think it'll be a welcome a welcome double bye week for, for Vega to get rested, get their minds right, and, and really scout that Sunray team. It will be. I, I think that you're right. But uh, if you – I think it will especially benefit you if you have momentum going into that double bye. I think they play Groover right before that double bye. Um, and if that's the case, if they if they beat Boys Ranch and then beat Groover and they're two and zero in district, I think that will really benefit them. Get healthy, get rested. But if they if they don't have much confidence going in, and then they come out, I mean, if, if you have two weeks without a football game, there's a good chance you're going to come out flat. And that's where I think Porton is going to show how good of a motivator he is in those. Because Slade, I don't know if you remember, Eric, you never got to experience this, but Porton could give a pregame speech like nobody else. He might stare you down the entire time and you're just like, holy shit, what did I do wrong? And he's just trying to motivate you. Like that's how good he is at just trying to get everybody fired up. So I, I trust Porton and what, what he's going to do in that situation. But it will be inter- interesting to see how Vega can come out after that because two weeks without playing a football game, I mean, it, it, it'd be tough to jump right back in. So – I, I believe in the Longhorns, and I think that they're going to be able to come out and do it. Yeah, I love it. Coach Porton, by far, I think intense is one of the best words you could use to describe Coach Porton. He is just always in that intense mindset. Whenever he steps on the football field and he is in that game mode, you can just see kind of the switch in his eyes because he's one of those guys that you love talking to outside of you know football. I still love going and chit-chatting with him. You know, he's just – He's just a good dude. And then all of a sudden he flips that switch and you're like, oh, wait, this guy is a maniac. Like this guy is about to – he's ready to rip some heads off. Uh, no, he's he, he's such a fun guy to play for, and I can't wait to see how they're going to handle that double bye week and what they're going to do. Um, speaking about handling games, you know, A&M handling these last two weeks, uh, you know, bringing this back up. We have a lot to unpack here to try to uncover the last two weeks, but you have – you know, a big opening into the SEC, beating Arkansas, beating Auburn, two good, solid wins, won them pretty convincingly for the most part, uh, had it the whole way, but Connor Wegman goes down for the season. Now you got the staple game coming up. You got Bama on the schedule. Eric, can Max Johnson lead the way to this win, and what is this team going to look like from a guy knowing nothing about Max Johnson or Connor Wegman, what is this team looking like with Max Johnson? Can they go beat Bama? And how important is this game? All right, Slade. I'm glad you asked because I've been saving this up for two weeks now, and I'm fired up right now. I'm a fired up Aggie. All right, so we do have a lot to unpack here. So if you're a Tech fan, just bear with me because we gotta we got to talk some Aggie football for a minute. Um, the first thing I want to say is it was a great start to the SEC play. The we, we come out and we beat Auburn and we beat them good, and then we came out and we beat Arkansas. In both those games, the game was not near as close as the score indicated. If you really watch those games, 
they were beatdowns. We we were the better team, clearly, top to bottom. We had sloppy games, and there, there was some, kind of some key little things that led to the scores not being just out of control. But, like, like the Arkansas game this past weekend, I think, was a 12-point game. Uh, I mean, it was not a 12-point game. I mean, it, it was a – it was a beating. And so we said it after the Miami game. We were down and we were discouraged and we were sickened with our defensive effort. And we were, people were calling for our defensive coordinators, coordinators, DJ Durkin's head. Everybody wanted him out. Everybody was mad. And the last two games against these two, and I know that Auburn doesn't have, they're kind of trying to figure out their quarterback situation. And, and Arkansas is, they're not, they won't have, at the end of the year, they're going to be a mediocre team. But our defense had seven sacks in each game. We allowed like 200 yards of offense for each team. It was amazing defensive performances. Um, so that was, they have answered the bell, and they have risen to the challenge. And we said after the Miami game, we were super ticked and super mad because that was a game we felt like we shouldn't have lost. And we said, okay, if you can beat Auburn, if you can beat Arkansas, and you can get to Alabama at 4-1, and one, it gives you a new chance at an entire new schedule. And our entire new season. I mean, it was like, this is like our second chance at a season that matters. And so we're excited. We're fired up. We're glad to be here. This is a good spot to be in for the Ags. Um, This is an Alabama team that's struggling. I mean, this is the first time since we've joined the SEC that you truly feel like the SEC West is wide open. It is the very first time since 2012. I mean, it's been, it's been nine years, 10 years that you feel like, Literally, there are four teams that could win the SEC West. So that that's one thing that's like, okay, if there's an opportunity, if there's a time, it's right now and it starts on Saturday. So we did lose Connor Wigman in the Auburn game. His cleat got stuck in the turf and he ended up breaking a bone, uh, a weight-bearing bone in his foot. He's out for the year. At first, we didn't think that was the case, but it came out later in the week that they, when they finally got the X-ray and diagnosed him, that, that he was out. That's the bad. Bad news. I think that Connor Wigman is a total stud. He was becoming a leader on the team. He was he was had unbelievable stats. I really think he would have I don't think he would have been in that Heisman, you know, top three or four, but I think he would have kind of been that next guy in the conversation because he was putting up that kind of good numbers. Um that's the bad news. The good news is Max Johnson is about as good of a backup quarterback situation as you can have. He is a starting quarterback that when he lost the job in spring training, he didn't transfer. Well, don't forget that Max Johnson also was at LSU. So he's played Alabama before. So he's not just going in there, just raw dogging it. I mean, he he's coming in there. He knows what to expect. That's exactly right. He, he is a great quarterback that really the entire fall camp, even they didn't name Connor Wigman as our starter till like two weeks before we started the season because Max Johnson was putting on that kind of a performance. I mean, really, when you you look at it, we had two starting quarterbacks. Either one would have been fine. I think the reason Connor Wigman was the guy we went with is because he has a higher ceiling, and he eventually will be the better quarterback. But, man, right now Max Johnson has stepped in. He's been a leader. The team has rallied around him. He has been a great, great backup. Slade? So my question to you is, you know, this is a big four-game stretch that the Ags got coming up. You know, you're you're playing number 11 Alabama at College Station, and then you go to number 22 right now, Tennessee, 
South Carolina at home, and then at number 16, Ole Miss. So even though you unfortunately lose Connor Wegman, like you said, Max Johnson, very capable backup, solid, solid defense, good run game. Will these next four games decide Jimbo's fate? I feel like we're such hyper like hypocrites because we keep calling for the skies every time something goes wrong with AM for Jimbo. But like you said, you said this time and time again, it's time to produce. And we know the bodies that they have out there. We know the recruits. We know the pedigree of AM up to this point with Jimbo. Is this the year where they need to win these games or there is a really tough conversation coming up in four weeks, or are we still overreacting to the importance of these four games? No, this is, this is the meat of the SEC schedule. I mean, this is the heart of it. And it is, I mean, like you said, it is a brutal stretch that we're right in the middle of, but I think what you've got to do is you can't look forward. I mean, you can't look ahead. We've got to look at Saturday and Saturday only. Jimbo, out of all the things that we get mad about him about, he always plays Alabama tight. Even when we're we're the inferior team, we play with him. We're not scared of him. We haven't been since Jimbo's been there. And we always play him really competitively. So I we've got to take care of business this on this game against Alabama because it is at home. And this is a down Bama team. I mean, this is your chance to take them down. I mean, it really is. We've got to win this game Saturday. Um, I think if you can get some momentum, you can have that carry into the rest of that four-game stretch like you talked about. I I have a bad feeling, Slade, if this game Saturday doesn't go how we want it to go, I do think there could be – I think it could get ugly because I think the wheels could come off. Yeah, I think this game is really important from the standpoint of you need to put out a good product – but I think overall, you can lose to Alabama. Like you can, you can have a really good game, and Bama just squeaks one out at the end, and you can, you can feel bad about it. But you can, you know, live to fight another week. If you go one and three in this four game stretch, it's it's like you're not gonna. Nobody's gonna be feeling good, no matter if you beat Alabama or Ole Miss. You know, by a you know overwhelming amount. If you don't go at least two and two in this stretch, I think that's when people are starting to panic just about, um, you know, the the ability and the culture of the program more than, you know, because, I mean, there, there will always be, you know, ha- losing your starting quarterback is huge. But, you know, like we, we've said time and time again, there's an urgency with this fan base, how much Jimbo's getting paid, the recruits that you get to see on all these recruiting pages, number one ranked recruit class and however long. I mean, it is – There's an urgency right now. So I think you can lose this weekend, but you better not go one and three in this four game schedule or you're, you're looking at some pretty pissed off fans. Would you say that's fair? I I think that's fair Slade. And I think where the urgency comes from is like we just said that this is the first time that you look at the West and you say, Hey, we, A&M has a good chance as anybody to go win the SEC West. I mean, I think this is the first time that you feel it wide open. And I don't want to act like this. I mean, it is still Alabama. It is still Coach Saban. It is still a studly roster. And they, they've gotten it together the last couple of weeks. I think it's going to be a great game. But I just love the spot we're in. And so I texted y'all the minute the line came out. It was A&M plus three. So it was, it was Alabama minus three, favored by three. 
And I just thought to myself, there's no way. There's no way that should be the line. I thought that was crazy. And I texted John and said, am I crazy or and delirious? Or should that be the actual line? And I hammered A&M plus three because I'm a delirious fan. And um, But I will say that since that came out on Monday, today's Wednesday evening, the line has already moved down to A&M plus one and a half. So it's already moved a point and a half in A&M's favor. So obviously I wasn't the only one thinking that. It feels like this game is going to be like a 17 to 14 type game. I don't know who wins, but this game – is going to be, from from a Big 12 watcher, this is going to be the most boring game ever. This game's going to suck to watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be physical, and like you said, it's going to be all about the line. I mean, it's going to be which offensive line can get some movement, which defensive line can be the most disruptive. Most of the time, that's not the most pretty football games to watch. So, so you're right. So enough, enough on AM. I know y'all are getting tired of it, Nancy, to talk about tech, but... But no, well, it's going to be fun weekend. It's a huge game. Saturday, CBS, 2.30. It's the primetime spot on CBS. It, it's, going to be, it's going to be fun. So we'll see if we can go get the job done. Dane, you have no right to talk about ugly SEC games compared to our fun Big 12 shootouts because the ugliest and most painful game that I have watched as a Tech fan was probably last weekend against West Virginia at Morgantown. I don't want to say I called it, and I hate to say I did because I talked about it being a trap game, and you know this was a really tough spot for Tech to be in. Um, but unfortunately, Tech just didn't really come to play, and mostly I think losing Tyler Shuck. For those of you who did not watch uh, the Tech and West Virginia game, you didn't miss much, but a lot of crappy football on both sides. But the main thing that came out of it was uh, QB1 Tyler Shuck broke his leg in a pretty gruesome injury for Tech. Um, and then Baron Morton was thrust in there. Well, he bangs his shoulder up, and all of a sudden our offense is just in shambles. Um, I mean, we looked ugly on both sides of the ball. The defense didn't look great. Um, it was it was pretty ugly for the most part and really just a painful watch. Uh, but I'm going to pour some wine because, thank goodness, we finally put together a complete football game against Houston, against a somewhat quality opponent. Thank goodness this past weekend, uh, Tech, in all three phases of the game, really put on a show. Defense didn't decide to come to the stadium until the second half, uh, but a very entertaining football game, a very good atmosphere. Um, you really don't ever want Donovan Smith, a former Tech quarterback who transferred out last year, you don't ever want those former quarterbacks to kick your ass. And so it felt really good that second half to see zeros on the scoreboard and zeros in the stat line for him to shut them out in the second half and to really come out there and just whoop their ass in all three phases of the game. I was fired up as a Tech fan. Dane, I know you didn't really get to watch the game because you were on a tractor, but how, how much better does a game like that make you feel? And how important is this week coming up, knowing that this team last year kicked your ass and love it? Well, it was, it was a weird feeling. Like, uh, I was on the combine, we were cutting corn, and I was listening to it, and whenever Houston got the ball first and just drove it down our throats, I mean, I, I wasn't watching, but I was listening, and they just put together the mo one of the most complete drives I've ever heard of, and they just marched it down our throat and scored right away. I was like, oh, shit, you got to be kidding me. And, uh, and then as soon as they kick it off, 
Tech returns it for a touchdown. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like that is so lucky. Momentum killer for Houston. Well, they turn around, they drive it right back down their throat, score again. And so I remember I got on the on the two-way radio because Braden was driving Grand Cart, and I just said, this is not a good feeling. Like, I do not like this. I don't want Tech to be in a shootout, as bad as that sounds from being. If you look at Tech historically, you want to be in a shootout because if you're in a shootout, you'll probably end up winning it. But I, I was not confident. I did not like the way Houston was moving the ball on us. And it was just so frustrating because – Tech had all the momentum. Tech was making the big plays, and Houston would just drive it right back down our throats. Well, then Tech ends up showing up in the second half defensively. Our offense was there. Our offense was humming. I loved it. And uh, our defense finally showed up in the second half and took over. And so that was that was very motivating to me because we haven't really seen that in the Oregon game from what I remember. That, <laughs> that game, our defense played – okay I think and so like that that was good to see but other than that our defense has not really played up to the standard of what we expected coming into the season so it was nice to see that and it's nice to come in to have momentum um this Baylor game Baylor has not been playing to the standards that everybody thought they would kind of the same situation as Tech and I remember looking on Saturday the score of them they were playing UCF and they were down like 21, 28, nothing. And I was like, holy shit, this is an ass kicking. But then they came back and won it. So that also scares me because they had a lot of second half momentum too. So you have two teams coming in with a lot of momentum. And it's going to be very interesting to see. But if Tech wants to have a have a chance at this, we got to get our pass rush figured out. Because Donovan Smith had all the time in the world in that first half to throw the ball. That pass rush, you might as well have just dropped those three guys back in coverage, four guys, whatever. However much we rushed in that first half, we should have just dropped them back. I mean, it, it was just useless at that point. So we got to get our pass rush figured out. And we got to do one other thing, Slade. Run the dang ball. We got to run the dang ball. Kosh Brooks has been running his ass off. I think he's averaging five, six yards a carry. And the announcers, I don't know what it looked like in person or uh, on the TV, but the the announcers, every time he got the ball, or majority of times, they would just say, uh, Taj Brooks stopped. Oh, he ended up with a three, four-yard gain. And they were just shocked that he ended up with that many yards after contact. And you've got to give Taj Brooks the freaking ball. And I think that Kitley will do that. I think we saw a lot more of Taj Brooks this last week than we have before. I think that Kitley has it figured out that he is our stud. He is our go-to. And you got to give him the dang ball. <laughs> Taj Brooks, for all intents and purposes, is a bad mofo. There's no hiding it. Uh, you know, you I always thought about growing up, I was watching Michael Crabtree, and you're, you're going, okay, that's obviously an NFL guy. And then go back to last year, Tyree Wilson, which we don't get to say very often on Texas Tech football, by the way. We don't get to say, oh, that's an NFL guy. You know, you see uh, players every once in a while playing above the standard. But then last year, you go back to like Tyree Wilson. And even though he got injured and didn't have a ton of production, you saw his potential and you're like, okay, that's an NFL guy. That is how it feels whenever you watch Taj Brooks run the football. 
That is one angry SOB. This dude really does do it all. He does it in the pass game. He does it in the run game. I, I kid you not, whenever he is in pass protection, it looks like prime Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas whenever he would come up and fill a gap. Um, you know, Tosh Brooks is who this offense needs to run through. And we saw that a lot last week. And a big part of that was also, like I mentioned, Baron Morton, our you know, now first-string quarterback, hurt his shoulder, his, his throwing shoulder in the game against West Virginia. Did not throw a single ball all week in practice. Until game day, he did not throw the football. And so there was obviously an emphasis on let's not have him, you know, slinging it every play. And so the offense ran through Taj Brooks and our backup running back, Cameron Valdez, big high recruit, good, solid back as well. And I think we kind of were like, oh, shit, our offense could actually be so well balanced. And we're actually pretty damn good at running the football. And that's great news because Baylor gives up over 150 yards rushing per game. I think they're the worst in the Big 12 right now. And so that same strategy, obviously you have to be prepared for everything, and they're probably going to load the box. But we have to come out and establish a run game against a Baylor team that has struggled. Like Dane said, they're a lot like us. We're kind of – we feel like the exact same team. We're both really beat up. Seasons have not gone the way anybody expected, but still everything very much in front of us from a Big 12 standpoint. Uh, but Baylor, same thing last year, got we, they kicked our ass in Lubbock. So this is huge for Joey McGuire and the program and huge just from being the team you said you were going to be. Well, like huge from being a program and huge from being the team you said you were going to be. I agree with you, Slade. But also, I mean, we're two and three. I mean, we got to start winning games. You know, we were we were had really high expectations. Now you got to start thinking about ball eligibility a little bit. I hate to be throwing that out this early, but I mean that's something you got to think about. But uh, my question to you, Slade, is I know how much you love to see a guy just go and play his ass off. But what do you think whenever we lost Tyler Shuck for the year? And Barry Morton didn't throw a single pass all week because his shoulder was hurt. And then you see him going out there and trying to block a linebacker, leading with his shoulder. What the hell was he thinking? I love, love the intensity, but you got to be smarter than that. It's like watching Josh Allen trying to leap forward on a second and one. Like, what the hell? And, I mean, it was one hell of a lead block. But also, like you said, what the hell are you doing? And that's what we all said. I was like – I was the only one in our group at the stadium that saw it live. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And they were like, oh, my gosh, fumble, fumble. I was like, no, Barrett's a freaking idiot. And they were all watching the big screen, and they were like, oh, dude, that's badass. I was like, no, it's not. He already has a bum shoulder. Granted, he did try to truck him with his left shoulder. He figured, why have one bum shoulder when you can have two? And that was just – it was bananas thinking, but you know, he, he is, I think a gamer. I think he just goes out there. I've always had this hype. Like in my head, I always thought that Baron probably wasn't as good off the field as Tyler Shuck was, you know, as far as in the film room discipline, blah, blah, blah. But I just feel like he's always been a gamer. You know, he just shows up and he just, he just balls and he just probably doesn't think at all. He just turns off his brain and just starts slinging shit. And I think that's what he did during the game was he just turned his brain off and was like, oh, shit, and just trucked the guy. And, I, I mean, it was 
It looked cool. I watched him do it in high school a little bit. We went to a game and watched him, and he played panhandle, and he was doing that same crap. And you knew he was the most valuable player on the field. Don't get hurt. And he's, like, diving into – I mean, you're like, dude, you're like a train wreck waiting to happen. But he's got to stay healthy because we have nobody else. So it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, I agree with everything you all said, Slade. And I think that Baylor is probably a little disappointed with where their season's at too. So I think this weekend is like a huge week for Tech. And I, I actually like Tech this week. When it was a pick early, I actually thought Tech was – I thought that was a good bet. But um, the question I wanted to ask both of you guys real quick to kind of wrap up the, the college football deal was um, – you know, before the year, y'all said the expectations were like nine and three for the season. And so we come in and, hey, I'm not poking fun. We we had the same deal last year where you're sitting there, you're in week five, and you're like, oh, my gosh, like this is not what we thought. So you're two and three now. You wanted to be nine and three. What from this moment forward defines a successful season? From from right now, how do we salvage this and what, what makes it successful? I would say if we – if we end up this season with one or two more losses, we would end up with four or five losses. Because, I, I mean, the way Texas is playing, I I think it would be very, very difficult to beat Texas, especially playing them in Austin. I think that would be very difficult. And so if you lose four or five and you end up seven and five or eight and four going into the bowl season, that, that to me, would be successful. You are exactly right. It has been very disappointing. We we should have won. We really should have beat Oregon, and there's no reason we should have even had to consider losing to those Wyoming white boys. <laughs> there's no reason we should have lost to those two, and, and West Virginia too. But, I mean, I, I think that we got a real chance to get it going, and I really think the way that we can get that is uh, is if we get our play calling in order. I think that our play calling early was a little bit off, like Slade said in a couple episodes ago, like we we needed to start playing more ballsy. We were playing very conservative the whole time, and then it kind of felt like we were waiting for Big Twelve, and then we play West Virginia, and we don't we don't try anything goofy. We we just we kind of play it by the book, which is not what we want to do as Tech fans. So that's my answer, Slade. What do you got? No, I think you nailed it. Um, yeah, two. I, I wouldn't be disappointed. Two more losses, you know, was kind of where I'd hope to hope to cap it. But um, you know, this this year has been a train wreck. Uh, last week we had all sorts of injuries in the secondary. We were kind of running thin. Uh, so you just hope you can stay healthy and stay competitive in those games. But if we can come out, squeeze out, you know, however many games is left with only getting two more losses, finish around, uh, you know, the same record, one win better than last year. As long as we perform at the level we expect to perform i'm okay with losing a couple tough games um like dane said there's a lot of games we could have and should have won uh, i know that i bring up this stat a lot it's the whole you know what everybody would be if those one score games went in the complete opposite way well tech would be undefeated and very much in the top 15 of the college football rankings had all those one score games went the opposite way but you know that's uh that's that's some losers talk and you know we, we're not we're not a bunch of cowards, but um, I'll tell you who is a bunch of cowards. It's all these damn Cowboys fans on the other side of this freaking screen, um, because you know we we had a big win last week, and by we I mean me and the Arizona Cardinals had uh, one of the biggest wins we've had in our you know losing franchise the last couple years, and 
these guys decided, well, you know, if you can't beat them, go farming. And so they went ahead and started farming instead of podcasting. So we can't talk about them this week. And that's so unfortunate. And uh, it really sucks because, wow, what a performance by the Cardinals and just what a surprising team. But, uh, Eric, going into this week, you know, it now doesn't matter. You know, no matter what happened last week, the Cardinals, you know, have been playing their ass off, fighting tooth and nail, and they come out and they beat the Cowboys and they stun the world. And then nobody remembers them this week because we're not America's football team. And, you know, we're not the most famous culture and program to ever grace the NFL. Um, but since the Cowboys kicked the shit out of, you know, whoever they played this week, they are now in one of the biggest games of the season. And by all means, they should be. Enough trash talk. They should be. Going into this week, we're playing the freaking 49ers. Dane, give me something. Okay, I got a question for you about the Cardinals right now with Josh Dobbs. So let me paint a picture. Let's say this this whole season happened last year. Would you rather the Cardinals, like let's say they had the number one overall pick, but Josh Dobbs has been playing like he was and they just kept having bad luck, ended up with the first round pick. Josh Dobbs was playing his ass off, but you all still had the number one overall pick. Would you have rather taken a quarterback then or did what the Bears did and trade it and then potentially end up with another quarterback with a higher higher caliber like a Caleb Williams? Like, would you rather have taken Bryce Young or did what the Bears did and still be in contention? <laughs> Yikes. Uh, I, I don't know, because the Panthers don't look like a team I want to be right now. Um, I would take I would take the Cardinals situation over the Panthers and the Bears right now. I know that we aren't looking like we're going to have. Hopefully, you know, if we keep playing at the level we're at, uh, we're not going to have the number one or number two pick because Houston is playing above their means as well. Um, but the Bears, golly, they just have so much to fix. But just answering that question honestly, knowing what I know now, I would probably rather trade down and knowing the quarterback class that we're in right now, this is just a revolutionary college football quarterback class. So I would not want Bryce Young over any of really the top three or four guys coming out of this draft class uh, this next year. So I don't hate what the Bears did. I don't really think they had that much, you know, uh, wisdom to see into the future like that. But, uh, you know, hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty. I love what the Cardinals are doing, but – it's never about the Cardinals, and it's not about the Cardinals this week. we got to talk some 49ers and some Cowboys football because this is going to be a grinded-out, fantastic Sunday uh, football game. Eric, going into this game, you know we, we know what both of these teams are, and we know what they aren't. Um, losing Trayvon Diggs is a crucial shot from a playmaker standpoint. And as far as what the Cardinals were able to do running the football, does that terrify you to think what the 49ers might do? And what does this game have to be in order to cons- con- consider it, you know, a success? And what's your worst nightmare as far as how this game goes? All right, Slade. So the Cowboys are the classic roller coaster that they always are. I, d- I don't know. I, I feel bad that we didn't come on here and let you have your moment with the Cardinals last week. 
that was the first positive thing to happen for the Cardinals since we started this podcast. And we, <laughs> and we didn't even we didn't give you your moment. I feel bad, Slade. I'm sorry you didn't get to have last week to rub in our face. But moving past that, because we threw that game out. We didn't even watch the film. We just pretended like that didn't happen. So we go and we get the Patriots, and we work them over. That was the worst loss of Bill Belichick's career. Think about that. Like, that was the biggest blowout of his career. We don't think of Mike McCarthy as an amazing coach. So when you think of Mike McCarthy getting Bill, Bill Belichick like that, I mean, that that's something – I mean, I, it was an exciting win last week. I mean, I – I think our defense got right. The Cardinals did run the ball on us, but I think our defense was – last week was kind of a wake-up call, and we kind of put it all together. So when I look at this game against the 49ers, the 49ers are like that that last that last mountain we can't get over, right? They're, the, they're our season enders. They're the ones that we can't freaking beat right there in the playoffs that we just can't quite seem to get past. They're, they're who we're trying to be, right? And um, I – Going into this game, I look at it, I'm like, okay, their defense is amazing, our defense is amazing. Wash. You're like, okay, Brock Purdy's been great. Dak Prescott's more experienced. He's a little more mobile. I think Brock Purdy may eventually could be better than Dak. I don't know. Let's just call that a wash. Offensive lines, call it a wash. Weapons. Right now, you maybe give a slight edge to – to the 49ers, but then it comes down to this. It's like, who do I trust more, Kyle Shanahan or Mike McCarthy? And that's where I just got to give the total, like I give all of the credit to, I, I just can't trust Mike McCarthy still, and I still don't think our offense is very good, Slade. We can't score when we get inside the 20. And, like, I know they're talking about it a lot while the Cowboys are on air and, and the games are on, so everybody's kind of knows the story. Like, our red zone efficiency has been bad. But, I mean, it's obvious. We can't. We cannot score when we get down there close. We can't do it. If we don't bust one, and what makes us think we're going to do it against the 49ers? So, our best bet this weekend, best case scenario, this is a defensive game. It's a slugfest. We win 16-13, right? Like, that's best case scenario. Worst case scenario is they totally outcoach us. They look – when they get in the red zone, they get touchdowns. When we get in the red zone, we get field goals. And they beat us by, you know, 14. That's worst-case scenario. Um, but but we'll see. It's going to be the most-watched game of the year. Everybody's fired up about it. These are two juggernauts going at it. it it's going to it's gonna be a really fun Sunday night. I have two quick things. Uh, for one, you saying give a slight edge to the 49ers for their weapons is absolutely <laughs> insane. George Kittle over Dalton Schultz. Who? Ferguson? Not there anymore. Yeah, yeah, Ferguson now Schultz. Yeah, yeah, okay, so you get yeah, George Kittle yeah, there. Okay. Debo versus CD, two very different weapons. I wouldn't like to compare them because they are very, very different in their own way. I would say those two are a wash. Brandon Ayuk or who the hell is y'all's wide receiver to? <laughs> I know. Christian Brandon McCaffrey Schultz. Tony Pollard. Give me Christian McCaffrey all effing day. I think that you're crazy for saying that. So that's my first take. Wishful thinking. Wishful thinking, yeah. There we go. I love your your uh, your uh, attitude right there. But I got a question for y'all. We kind of skimmed over the Cowboys-Patriots talk a little bit. But I feel like we got to talk about it. Is Bill Belichick overrated? Is he is he an overrated coach? Because everybody – like we, we've talked about it before. He was – he was the number one coach that all of us would take of all time college 
pro no matter what. He hadn't done shit since Brady left. And I, I hate to say that because I'm an avid Brady hater. And so I hate to say that. But, like, if, if he's that good of a coach, you would think he'd be able to make it work. And he can't. I, I'd just love to get y'all's thoughts on that. That is a spicy question, Dane. And that is such a good question because I, I really do love Phil Belichick. Like, I respect him so much. I think he is so good. But it's like he just refuses to – be progressive. He just refuses, and it's like his formula, they've won six Super Bowls, and he's that's all he can do. He will not adapt to what he has. I I mean, I'm, I'm with you because I have the same thought. I'm like, is he losing it? Is he losing his edge? I think he is because mm-hmm. he's, he's defensive-minded. The league's going to offense. It's moving towards the offensive side of the ball. Scores are, getting, are higher than they've ever been before. Quarterbacks are more important than they've ever been before. And he still wants to win with good defensive, a good, you know, he wants to win defensive, you know, smash mouth football games. I, I think that he's, I think he's getting left behind a little bit. I, I agree. I don't, and I also, I don't think he's been dealt a good hand, but I think a lot of that is his fault. I think he wants to prove in a way, and this is, you know, so far out there, but I think he wants to prove that he can win with anybody. So I think he's not so eager to go find huge playmakers, especially, you know, they went and take Mac Jones. Mac Jones is the most vanilla quarterback you could ever have. And then their playmakers, also kind of vanilla. Everybody, there's just no they, – they haven't had any legit studs on there. And that was kind of their thing. You know, the Patriots, you know, you had the Julian Edelmans that you could pick the diamonds out of the rough. You know, you had obviously Gronk, Brady, and, you know, a few other playmakers throughout the years, but really it was those regular old dudes that they would turn into playmakers whenever it came playoff time. Chris Hogan, what did he do outside of the Patriots? But he was a great playoff player. And I think Bill Belichick is still trying to have that same kind of mentality. But whenever you don't have a guy like Tom Brady to help elevate and keep everybody accountable, you bring in those vanilla guys and, you know, your run-of-the-mill players – all of a sudden you're just kind of a run-of-the-mill football team, and you can't scheme those guys open as much as you possibly can. So that brings me to – I have I have three spicy questions, excellent. That was one of them. Number two, we'll start with Eric here. You answer this. Who would you rather have, Mac Jones or Danny Dimes? Oh. <laughs> who, let, let's just say that. Who would Belichick be more successful with? Yeah, see none of the above. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I'm. I think I'm kind of like Slade said. I think I am over the. Uh, I'm over the Mac Jones experiment. I just think his time is done. I think they have moved off of him internally. Now, not like things are going good in New York for for Daniel Jones, but I think there's probably more in the tank there with Daniel Jones. More than, potential. Yeah, so I, I'll take Danny Dimes, I guess. Yeah, I'm not a fan of nut tappers whatsoever, so I'm going to take Danny Dimes because I think you lose the locker room a little bit quicker with a guy like Matt Jones, especially whenever he is such a D-bag on the field sometimes. He really is. There's been a lot of dirty things that that guy's done that has made me really, really hate that guy. Um, So just a quick little spicy question. Who would you rather have, Danny Dimes in primetime or – Kirk O'Chains, Kirk Cousins in primetime. 
Okay. I saw a stat the other day. I I I did pretty well gambling on Sunday, so I wanted to just throw a little bit out there on the Monday game just to kind of see if I could get to a certain number. So I saw a stat that Danny Dimes was like one in eleven or one in twelve straight up on uh, primetime football games. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable! Like that makes my choice so obvious. So I threw some money on the Seahawks just because of that stat alone. So I know that Kirk Cousins has a bad rep, but I, I mean, now what, if he was one in eleven or one in twelve, now he's one in twelve or one in thirteen. So I'm going to take Kirk Cousins <laughs> because. Danny Downs is not doing so hot. Yeah, give me Kirk Cousins all day. He, you know, may not have the best record, but he definitely he definitely can still go out there and produce and play like a lesser version of his normal self. Um, but going into that, you know, we we like we said, we've been away and we know we've missed out, but really what we missed out is on our freaking draft segments. I'm so fired up to finally do a draft once again. This time, coming to you live from Dane's Mind is a draft segment thought up around food. Would you guess it? Uh, this is going to be a food duo draft. <laughs> this is going to be a food duo draft. Uh, we're picking things that pair well together, some iconic, some electric uh, pairings whenever it comes to food duos. So, Dane, you got the first pick. Take it away. Okay, so just to clarify on this, like you can take a combination, but like whenever one side of the combination is gone, it's gone. Like you can't take that with another entree or whatever. So once one thing is gone, it's gone from there. So to start it off, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it really easy here and do the obvious. I'm taking burgers and fries. Ooh, okay, burgers and fries off the board. All right, so number two pick. I've got a lot of good stuff on here. I really didn't know where to go with this one. I'm going to go with beans and rice. Give me beans and rice. You know, I thought that was going to be my late, you know, third round sleeper. I was like, they're never going to pick beans and rice. But you think about it, you see beans walk into a place. You're never going to see them without rice. You can't walk into a club, see Beans over there in a the corner by himself. Beans and Rice, those two, guys, those two guys are always hanging out. Can't really seem to separate them. Sometimes they're kind of mushed together. But uh, great pick there. Two really solid picks. I'm going to take a personal favorite because there's really no rules to this game. So I'm going to take pizza and wings. Uh, is, does that count or are those, are those two mains? Because what? are we going with a main and a side? What? Pizza. No, that's, that's fine. You can take that. That's completely legal. Pizza and wings are such a dynamic duo. I mean, you really, that's, those are the two things you see together that just really make your mouth want to pop. Uh, so, pizza and wings, that's my first round pick. Uh, snake draft, my number two round pick. Oh, man. <laughs> Another personal favorite. Um, this one's so generic. I sound like every other white guy in the room right now. Uh, I'm going to take pasta and bread. Can I do that? So, like, anytime. You can't can do, like, a terrible pick. Like, I'm thinking, like, I, I'm always thinking about, like, garlic bread and, like, spaghetti or something like that. You know, like, I do pasta and bread, or is that too far-fetched? You can take that because I can promise you no one else is going to. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> 
So I want chocolate and peanut butter together. It's like whether you got the yellow, like the yellow M&M's or like a Reese's or whatever. That I'm going chocolate and peanut butter. Wow, interesting. Um, I might be going a little meat heavy here after seeing y'all's, but I'm going to go with my second pick. I'm going to go with steak and potatoes. Any, kind, any way that you want it, potatoes. It's like you act like you're so mad. You could have had that in the two, and I promise no one was going to take pasta and bread. So quit, quit giving me the finger there. Um, so give me steak and potatoes. And for my third, just go ahead and give me cobbler and ice cream. Any kind of cobbler, vanilla ice cream. I'll take that one if you want a specific peach cobbler, vanilla ice cream. You damn near can't beat it. Oh, my gosh. I don't think I really understood the rules of this one. Like steak and potatoes is so good. <laughs> You don't understand how much I thought about this draft. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. So I took peanut butter earlier, so PB&J is out. Um, okay, I'm going to go with these because I wrote this down. I don't really have much else to go with. Give me jalapenos and cream cheese. <laughs> hey, okay, that's funny because I wasn't thinking of that, but that's a good pick. I mean, they go well together. If you put a jalapenos and cream cheese in anything, it totally makes everything better. This is wild and did not I, – I, I think we all approach this. Austin bread. <laughs> all I was thinking about is, like, what hits better with, like, you know, like garlic bread. I was trying to think of sides with it, things that just pair well together. Garlic bread goes with everything. Fuck you guys. Um, I'm just going to take a staple. Um, again, I'm just so confused on the rules of this game now, so I'm just going to go with ham and cheese. I think <laughs> ham and cheese is something <laughs> together. <laughs> <laughs> we may have to end the podcast early. This is a shit show. That was, about- that was worse than pasta and bread. Okay, wait, 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 wait. You guys said that we weren't preparing anything, so I haven't thought about this once. All of a sudden, you guys pull out your lists. I'm just trying to think of things that go together. Fuck you guys, man. That's right. You're kind of like the like the Talladega Nights. It's like, what did you say? It's like peanut butter and ladies. <laughs> you have a peanut butter and a lady. <laughs> Pathetic. I don't care what you say. Ham and cheese always smacks. <laughs> Fuck you guys. All right. Anyways, moving on. We have two more big segments coming up. Uh, you know, we we like we said, we were out of the office last week, but we still made our picks. You know, we are loyal to the soil whenever it comes to gambling. So um, we have some Super Dogs updated rankings. This is our Super Dog segment where we pick the biggest underdogs in college and NFL, and we try to beat the spread. Unfortunately. Chadalak Fangman not having a lot of success beating the spread. He is minus 36 and a half right now. Eric, he's one of our guys. He's up three and a half, having a lot of success on the Super Dogs. Dane, he's minus three points right now. Brent, also struggling. He is minus 30 and a half against the spread, not doing well. 
and then I'm two and a half points above the uh, above the spread, barely squeaking above the surface. Uh, but we have another Super Dog segment. Time to redeem yourself. Dane, take it away. What's your Super Dogs pick this week? Okay, just to remind everybody that whenever you do make a pick, whenever you lose it, however much you lose by affects your score. So that's why Chad and Brent are so far down the line. So, and, and it makes it interesting because in any given week, you can jump up to the top from down however many. So I just want everybody to keep that in mind. Don't think that Chad and Brent are just dog shit at their picks, which, I mean, they are, but just try try to be generous to them. Um, Chad's not here today, so I'm going to cover his super dog first. He said to take whoever Michigan's playing, they're due for a bad game. They're playing Minnesota. So Minnesota plus 19 and a half against Michigan is uh, Chadillac's pick. Mine is Maryland – uh, against Ohio State at plus 20. Uh, Maryland's been beating the hell out of everybody they play. And so, I mean, this is their real first test. And Ohio State has been highs and lows. I mean, their whole their whole season's just been highs and lows. They've been on a hot streak. So this is kind of a risky pick. But uh, I'm betting on the uh, the brother of Tua Tungavavaloa. <laughs> Good call. We'll see what he's got in store for the Buckeyes. But I'm going to go – I'm going – I should never advise anybody to ever bet for Vanderbilt unless it's baseball. But I, <laughs> I want you to take Vanderbilt plus 18 and a half against Florida this week. Florida got steamrolled by Kentucky last weekend. And I don't know if y'all saw, but – Florida always does the fight song after the game. Most teams do. There was like seven players for Florida standing in front of their band doing their fight song. Like, I think the locker room is lost. I think their team is completely given up on that culture, on their coach. Vanderbilt's better than they usually are. So, <laughs> Vanderbilt plus 18 and a half. Slade? <laughs> Great picks. I have Brent's pick this week as well. You know, unfortunately, Brent could make it, but his super dog this week is Arizona plus 21 and a half versus USC. USC squeaking out a win last week against Colorado. I don't think they've done great against the spread, so I think that's a great pick, Brent. My pick, it's a little bit closer of a spread, but it still qualifies as a super dog according to our standards. Give me Oklahoma plus six and a half to compete with UT in the Red River rivalry. I feel like OU has been really under uh, underrated this whole year. Uh, UT, this game just always seems to figure its way into an overtime game. So I'm expecting this to be a close game. I think Oklahoma is better than people give them credit. And I think this is kind of a letdown point for UT where they let the Red River rivalry get the best of them. And I think this one turns into – a really close neck-and-neck dogfight to the end. Um, So that's your Super Dog segment of the week. Moving on, we got our Bet the Farm segment of the week, and this is the one you know it and you know it well. It is sponsored by the Beer Box, ladies and gentlemen. Find the Beer Box there on Main Street in Vega, Texas. They are your good time having place to find all your beer, wine, and liquor, and whatever you need to have a good time there in Vega, Texas. Stop by there if you're a struggling farmer, struggling with the stress. Stop in there, grab you a six pack, and you know maybe a thirty if it's that kind of been that kind of day. But uh, stop in there at you know at the beer box there in Vega, Texas. But 
Starting off the bet the farm, let me just get into, like I said, we took a week off, but Chad Alak sitting there tied at the top of the rankings at four and one. Eric is sitting at three and two. Dane sitting at two and three. Brent, after, after his amazing success last year, is now down in the dumps with Dane at two and three. And then I am also tied up there with uh, Chad up at four and one. So, Dane, take us away. What's your bet the farm lock this week? All right, Slade, thank you. So uh, I will say it's very nice to have Brent join me in the bottom. Give him a little slice of humble pie. He really needed it. Um, I'll cover Chad's bet the farm first. He te- Chad texted us earlier this week and said, am I crazy for thinking that the Texans and Falcons game should be a pick The Texans have been playing their ass off. Falcons have been very overrated. Am I just stupid for thinking that the Texans and Falcons should be a pick Because he loved the Texans so much, he took the Falcons minus two because Vegas knows too much. So lock chat in for Falcons minus two against the Texans. Uh, I'm going to take the Bills versus Jaguars over, and that's set at 48 and a half. The Bills offense has been humming. After the, that weird game against the Jets week one where they ended up losing and Josh Allen threw two picks and fumbled once or whatever it was, um, their offense has been humming. Since then, they scored 38, 37, and 48. So they are humming. The Jags offense, I really think that they're going to get it together at some point. And, hell, the Bills might be able to cover that over alone just the way they've been playing. So give me the Bills, Jags, over. All right, good picks. I'm going back to the well. I'm going to TCU. I won on them a couple weeks ago. I'm going TCU minus six and a half against Iowa State. I just don't think Iowa State's very good. And I think that after TCU lost to Colorado, everybody just kind of forgot about them. It's just really not giving them up. So give me TCU minus six and a half. Little side note, if A&M was still plus three, I loved it at plus three. The value on that game was early. At one and a half, you know, it's moved down so much. I Probably stay away from me, but but give me TCU minus six and a half. Lock it in. Bet the farm. Bet the freaking farm, baby. Brent is going to take Washington State plus three and a half versus UCLA. Uh, hell of a lock right there, Brent. And then mine, I have struggled between this all day because I want to go with my mind or my heart. And my heart is telling me right now in this moment that I need to take Arizona plus three at home versus the Cincinnati Bengals, as Eric would say. I have a just really good gut feeling, and I'm probably going to get my butt kicked because I'm going with my heart. My head tells me to take Colorado plus four against Arizona State because Arizona State is straight buns this year. Jalen Conyers, if you're out there listening, I hope you go off for 200, but Bubba, yikes. Um, But I'm going to go with the Cardinals to beat down the Bengals at home. Plus three, I just I, I I could dive into it so much, but we've already talked enough shit as is. So I'm going to go with my heart and take Arizona plus three at home versus the Bengals. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for putting up with our chaos, for putting up with our trash talk, for putting up with my hoarse voice that still has not recovered from broadcasting with Robbie Kirkland. But those of you that know us, you know us well. And we end the show in one way and one way only. And it is with Brent's iconic and electric bangers of the week. 
And this week, he's got another banger coming up. This week, it is going to be Dancing Cowboys by the Bellamy Brothers. I hope you all love it. Brent, we miss you. We can't wait to have you back. But while you're missing Brent, while you're thinking about our physical therapy brother, turn on this tune, crack a cold one. May all your bet the farm locks hit. May all your parlays hit. And may your fantasy football teams go and light it up on the scoreboard this week. Have a good one. We love y'all. We like boots and sound. We love girls and guitars. We let romance and passion turn our heads and rule our hearts. Old bandanas and blue jeans. Campfires burning like stars. It's a song about all the things we live and what we are. Songs about love